So I was reading in the book of Daniel, and if you've ever read Daniel, it's got the first six chapters, our narrative, they tell a lot of great stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den. And I, I was just reading the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I thought, you know, this story is so basic, so well known. And I, and I kept rereading it, rereading it. And I said, God, I, I, wanna, I wanna teach on Daniel. I wanna teach on the lion's den, but, but I just feel like it's so familiar, I don't know where to go with it. I, for me to find something fresh in it, and I, and I just kind of kept working. And I think when you, when you pursue God, God gives you new insights into the same scripture, but maybe in a different way that you thought. And I kept focusing in on the den that Daniel was in, and I realized it was really a, a representation of the boundaries that we put either on ourselves or others put on us, of the struggles that we find ourselves in, where we don't know any way out. And I think a lot of you have come in here today and you're probably looking at your life and you're thinking, you know, I, I've got some things I don't know how to get out of. I don't know how to navigate through. I don't know how to find victory or success in this situation. And that's a common human problem. You're not alone. You're not away from God necessarily because you feel that. It's just you don't know the avenue yet. And then I began to look at the lions, and I, and I thought, what a miracle, you know, that you could be thrown into a lion's den and not be eaten. I mean, that right there is the first miracle in my mind. But then I began to think about the lions of our life. And it was funny, I was, uh, I was on my phone this morning, I got a, a text from Sean Foyt, and he said, tell all the men that I'm coming in hot for the men's conference. He just did a rally with Kerry Lake down in Arizona, and, uh, and it was a great move of God there. But he said, I'm coming in hot, and we're going to, we're going to celebrate like, we're going to be like lions and eat a lot of meat. And I said, you don't know, but I'm preaching on uh, lions today. And uh, he said, see, I told you I was prophetic. But the lions of your life, and let me just give them to you, and then we're going to go back through them. The first lion in your life is the lion that you fear. It's those things that are in your soul that you worry about, you think about. It could be the past, it could be the present, but there are lions in your life that you fear. And then secondly, there is the lion that you fight. And Satan is identified in Scripture as a, as a roaring lion who comes to seek and to devour. And we find ourselves in battles that we have to fight in life, and some of them are Quite honestly, they're natural, they're physical, but most of them come down to spiritual because we don't know how to navigate with the Word of God or with the Spirit of God in a given situation. And then finally, there is the lion that you follow. It's Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So today I want to talk to you about the lions in your life, the lion of fear, the lion of fight, and the lion that you follow. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 16, I'm going to take you through this morning a number of scriptures that relate back to this idea of a lion. In 6.16, it says, the king gave the command, they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now, if the story ended there, it would be a sad story because we would, rightly so, we would make certain assumptions and deductions and we would say, he died. And yet God did something in that moment. 
You see, there was a manipulation that was going on behind the scenes from the political uh, leadership within that kingdom of Darius. And they wanted to silence this man of God. This man of God who was thrown the lion's den, by the way, at 80 years of age. A lot of people don't think about the chronology. You see pictures of a young Daniel in a lion's den, but he was actually 80. And he refused to bow his knee and worship the idol that was set up. He chose to follow God, and even the king, King Darius, was, was tricked into this manipulative decision by a governor. I'm not saying anything. Those things happen in life. But anyway, he, he came to the, to the den of lions the next morning, and he says, Daniel, has the God who you serve been able to deliver you from the mouth of the lion? And Daniel's response was, yes, he has, O king, because no fault was found in me. You see, there was something about Daniel that allowed him to find security and peace of mind in the worst of life situation, and it was in his relationship with God. And I will say today that if you are struggling and, and struggling with, with emotional things of ups and downs and what are you going to do, I want to say to you, go back to your relationship with God and make sure it's in good order. It's really interesting, all through our marriage, my wife, uh, whenever we go through a struggle like, a, you know, a financial, you know, we're, we're kind of struggling, we're, or maybe there's a physical thing, like we've got some, you know, family member in the hospital, the first question my wife usually asks me, in fact, almost always, are we up to date on our tithe? It's an interesting question because what we understand is that when we honor God in our giving, there is a hedge of protection around us that is not there without that. And I've always been able to say, yes, that's it. Then we can move on to the next possible situation of what's going on in our life. But Daniel said it, the, because there was an excellence of, of, of behavior in his life and a devotion to God, that he was saved and, and secure even in the worst situation. You see, if you have peace with God, you can find yourself in the worst situation, not liking it, but knowing it's all going to be okay because God is with you. And if God is with you, then as Romans says, who can what? Be against you. In other words, there is no obstacle, there are no problems that cannot be solved by a relationship with God. And I again want to go back to that idea. It doesn't mean that you're problem-free. If, if you came into the Christian faith thinking that just because you're a Christian now all your problems will go away, then I want to revise that statement. You might actually find out you have more problems because you're running against the grain of the world and the world system but you'll still have peace of mind because you know the living God, amen? amen? Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 and 32. The Lord said to Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked that he might sift you as wheat. Now I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like something I want Satan asking God about me. And Jesus' comment in response is interesting. He said, but I pray that your faith should not fail. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather him say, but I'm not going to let that happen. 
He's not going to sift you like wheat. All's going to be good. You're going to live a nice, nice little, you know, sheltered life with no problems. But you see, Satan even knows, or Jesus even knows, that when shifting comes and sifting comes in our life, it makes us stronger human beings. It makes us more dependent on the living God. And you see, that's the thing that we, that we miss out oftentimes when we try to avoid struggle, avoid pain, or we try to help our children not to have struggle and pain. We, they lose out on dependency on the living God. There's something very powerful that happens in struggle. Every teacher and every coach I ever had growing up that was tough on me, I hated. And yet I learned more. I became a better being because of it. All right, I'm praying that your faith fail not. What would happen if you went through some sifting and your faith failed? Would you become a denier of God? Would you become one of that, those statistics that said, I used to go to church? Would you be one of those parents that would say, you know, I had a bad experience, so I'm gonna let my kids decide for themselves? Those are all results sometimes of a sifting that doesn't have its full effect in bringing you to maturity and spirituality. And the consequences of those are generational. If you raise your children with that mindset, they're gonna raise their children with an even worse mindset because you're gonna water down second and third generation experience of God. And we're only one generation away from paganism. If you don't hold the line, who will? If you don't stand, who will? If you don't proclaim Christ as king, who will? It's incumbent upon you and I to do those things that bring about the kingdom of the living God. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I did a little study on lions. I wasn't that excited about them, but I, I wanted to find something about them. And apparently, they only really roar at night. The roar can be heard as far as five miles away. Have you ever noticed when you're away from God and you're living in spiritual darkness that your fears level goes up? You hear things, see things, and whether it's daylight or nighttime, you hear things and feel things that aren't legitimate, and they bring about this, this idea of timidity and fear in your life. And you go, well, I, I, I'm just a little afraid here. Why? You see, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Now, notice that fear in the Bible is not defined as an emotion. It's defined as a spirit, a contrary spirit to God. So that fear comes from the enemy himself. You know, a lot of times we address our problems in the, in the natural world as if it's a physical problem versus a spiritual problem. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Assume, first of all, it's spiritual unless something else indicates otherwise. If you do it the other way, you're going to try to solve everything on a natural level first, and then you're going to try to say, well, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to pray. Has it come to that? We have to pray. All right, let's go on. Job chapter one, verses seven and eight. I hear people a lot of times say, you know, I just feel like Job. I say, you're nothing like Job. You know, you haven't sat in darkness and scraped boils off, your, off the side of your body for seven days and lost everything you own. 
But if you're like Job, the good news is you're going to get saved in chapter 42. See, Job says in chapter 42, I heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. He got saved in chapter 42. Job says uh, in, in, in the scriptures in chapter one, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth upon it. Now, it's, the, a couple of things are interesting here. Number one is that God is having this dialogue with the enemy. And he asked him this question, what have you been doing lately? Now, God knew because God is all-knowing. So the purpose of the question is for our benefit in the word of God. What have you been up to? He says, I've been going to and fro across the earth. In other words, I've been looking for someone that I can attack, destroy, or disrupt. And look what it says. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I don't want to be name-dropped by God in that context. How about you? Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who, who fears God and shuns evil. Do you know you can fear God, shun evil, and not know God? I've been doing for the last probably two years these large events called Reawaken America, and they're largely a gathering of people who love God and country and not necessarily know Jesus. And I always ask this question, how many of you love God and country? And it's like, uh, it's like a Trump rally. I mean, you know, it's like everybody's up, yeah, I love God and country. And I said, which God do you love? And every one of those events, we see at least 20% of the people in attendance come to faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to say, you can fear God, turn away from evil, and not know the living God. In fact, Jesus said in John, or in Matthew chapter 7, he said, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not, did we not prophesy in your name? And he said, well, depart from me, I never knew you. See, it's possible to, 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 to be in sync with a lot of things with God and somehow not really know him. One of the most telling testimonies that ever happened was when I, we were pastoring right out of seminary and there was a guy named Bill and Bill would always speak for his family and when he started talking, he never took a breath and he never stopped and you just thought, you know, he, nobody could ever talk but Bill. And I remember that his daughter came forward. She was about 15 at the time and came forward to give her life to Jesus Christ. And here comes Bill. And he said, can I say something before she does? And I'm thinking, now he wants to give her testimony. <laughs> Bill would always get the best deal on cars and carpets because he would wear the, the, the salesman down and they finally just wanted to get rid of him and give him a great deal. And I'm not kidding. So I, handed, I reluctantly handed the, the microphone to Bill and I said, okay, Bill, and he said, you know, all of my life I've been good. I was a good boy. I went to Boy Scouts. I was a good Boy Scout. You know, I went into the Navy. I was good, and I got elevated. I got promoted all the time. And he said, then I became a teacher, and I was always a good teacher. I was teacher of the year, and he kept going on about all the good. And then he said this, all of my life I've substituted being good for born again. And tonight I give my life to Jesus Christ. You see, being good is not good enough. Jesus said, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. 
So here's Job in this situation where, where God acknowledges him, that there's nobody quite like Job on planet Earth. And then notice what happens in chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, Job must have another motive here. And he said, plus, you have made a hedge about him and about his household and about all that him on every side, and you have blessed the work of his hands, his possessions have increased in the land. In other words, he says, you have protected Job from difficulty, from financial loss and ruin. Take that down and he'll, he'll curse you. Now, what I find interesting, in addition to the fact that God's having this dialogue, it is that God does not deny a hedge of protection. Do you realize that when you walk with God, God does put a hedge of protection about you? When you step outside of that covering, outside of that hedge, you open yourself up for all kinds of ruinous things. Being under that covering doesn't guarantee that you're going to be free from them, but what it does do is it puts you in a place of protection unlike if you walk outside of it. And so what happens in the story of Job is that God, God removes the hedge temporarily, but tells Satan you can do whatever you want, but you can't kill him. And it seems like an unusual thing for God to do, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about what God's like, what do you think about? We think like if you always do right, you're always going to have no problems. If you always tithe, you're always going to be financially well off. And you kind of you build your own theology about how life works and how God works in your life. But you see, God had something else for Job. And so when you come to the last chapter, 42, I referred to it earlier. Job had three friends and they were trying to give wisdom to Job, but they were wrong. And then finally, Job comes to this moment of realization where he says, I repent. It took the work of the enemy to bring Job to an understanding of God. And then the second part of that was when it says, when Job praised for his friends. So his three friends who gave him bad advice, he held some bitterness toward him. You see, I'll say to you, if you have bitterness toward anyone today, you need to leave that at the altar of God and move forward. Because it's never going to help you. You're not punishing anyone but you. It says, when he prayed for his friends, then God restored the fortunes to Job. So there was two dimensions to that. One was knowing God, and then the other was knowing how to walk with God. They both are important. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. I heard a loud voice in, saying in heaven, now salvation, strength, and the, uh, and the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Now the accuser of the brethren is Satan. Have you ever, you ever had this little voice in your head that says you're not worthy? Sometimes it's you, but sometimes it's the enemy. He's trying to get you to feel like you're not worthy. Therefore, why even go to church? Why follow God? Why pray? I pray. I don't, I, I just, God's not going to hear my prayers. I've heard this my whole life. You know, I'm just, God's not interested in me. Or if I go to church, the ceiling will fall in. I don't know how many times I've heard that one. I said, let's just give it a test and see. You know, I'd like to see that phenomena once in my lifetime. And I've persuaded a lot of those guys to come in. It's always guys, by the way. Girls never say that. Guys, you know, they yeah, the feeling of falling because you don't know what I've done. And then they'll tell me something. I say, you're an amateur. 
I've got guys that are greater sinners than you in church, trust me. You know, guys always love a one-up. This is what I did, I know it was bad, and I go, you know, I got another guy over here, he's worse. But you see, God wants to bring us to the place of real understanding and depth of who he is. And don't, don't fall into this prey that when you feel unworthy that God is not listening or God doesn't care or God doesn't love you. He does. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, Romans 8 says. Not things present or things to come. Not principalities, powers, angels. None of those things can ever separate you from his love. You just have to be willing to draw into God, draw near into God, and he will draw near into you, as the scripture says. It goes on to say, and they overcame him in Revelation 12. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they did not love their lives even unto death. It's a formula for living your life, by the way. The blood of the lamb cleanses you from sin. That takes away guilt and shame. The word of God in you is empowered. Their testimony, when you give your word a testimony, you say, look what God did to me. You're proclaiming in a prophetic way how God works. And then when you say that there's nothing more important than loving God, you don't take your life and go, my life is more important than God. There's never a time when I get on an airplane that I don't, you know, I, I know the risk. It's not as great as driving in, on the highways in California, but, but I, there's never a time where I get on the plane and go, God, I'm just ready to go. I don't want to go, but I don't have any fear. Why? Because I, I, I got that settled. That's, that's solved in my life. Now, if a bus pulls up today and says heaven on it, I'm not getting on it. I mean, let me be clear here, right? I'm not going to hop on it and go, I'm ready today. But if God calls my number, I mean, I'm going anyway. Amen? Let's talk about the lion you fear. And I really want to look at three things. Number one, your past. You see, there's something that can eat you alive in your past if you let it. The reason that God talks about forgiving us of sins is he's removing it as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. And so when you think about your past, you can't let your past dominate your future. In fact, your past is no evidence of what your future will look like. In fact, many people will say my past was formed form me and shaped me, my, my negative past, in order to make me strong in the present. But if you believe the lie of the enemy, then your past is you're always guilty. And we know what a guilt is. It's a gift that keeps on giving. If I make you guilty, then you've got to make me guilty, and we, on and on we go with guilt. And then there's failure. Failure is also no indication of your future. You say, well, I failed at a name, that just fill in the blank. I failed in my job. I failed in my marriage. I failed in my, raising my children. I failed, I failed, I failed. That doesn't mean that it's not redemptive. Why do you think God talks so many times about redeeming the past, about restoring the days that the locusts have eaten? Why do you think he talks about that? Because he knows human beings. I haven't met a perfect human being yet outside of Jesus. I've met some who thought they were perfect, but I've never met a perfect human being. We want to classify people. Like, you know, I'm, 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 not as, I know I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but I'm, you know, I'm really bad. Well, God doesn't have a graduation period of like, oh, you know, like he's a ten, level 10 center. 
all right? So he gets no prayers answered, but level eights do. I mean, we function like that, don't we? We classify Christians like that. They're good Christian. What does that mean? Does that mean better than you? What does that mean? They're a great Christian. Hmm, that's interesting. They might have the darkest soul of anybody you know. Come on now. You see, the Bible really classifies Christians in two ways. You're either walking the Spirit or you're not. It's really simple. When people say they're a great Christian, just say, are they walking the Spirit? Because that's the, that's the answer. All who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. How about that? Any man have not the Spirit is none of him. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in order to be a believer. So there's a, the, there's a lion of your past, there's a lion of failure, there's a lion of the unknown. Have you ever feared the unknown? I do all the time. I go like, I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't look good. Well, what is it? I don't know. There's that lion. Then there's the lion that you fight, and that's Satan. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, it says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares about you. You know, nothing beats humility. It just, it's the best, isn't it? You ever been a really proud, arrogant person go, I just want to be like them so bad? They're just my idol. Look at them. They won't talk to anybody. They're arrogant. Their nose is always up in the air. They proud. No, you never do that. But you get around somebody humble, you go like, wow, that's such a great quality. And it says, why would I do that? It says he cares about you. He says, then be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. There he is again, seeking whom he may devour. What do I do? I resist him. I stay steadfast in my faith. I know that the same suffering are experienced by my brotherhood around the world. In other words, I'm not in this alone. What do I do when I feel that? I just stand strong. I'm vigilant. I'm watchful. I'm looking around. I'm seeing what is this that's going on in my life? Is this spiritual? Is this satanic? Is this me? What is, what is this? And you start to become a discerner of the spiritual situation you find yourself in. And you have to be that. You have to be that, that aware of your environment because it's not just a physical, natural environment. It's a spiritual environment. When you become aware of your spiritual environment, you be able to read things like you can't read things in the natural realm. And then you, just, you can accelerate in your life and accelerate in your joy because now you've become a discerner of your situation. And he identifies here, he says, you have to walk in humility. To get that, you have to be humble. You have to trust, and you have to resist. I just have to trust God. I don't know where this is going, but I trust you. I can't tell you how many times I've just fallen back into the Scripture. God, I, I don't feel any of this right now, but your word says it. That's trust. Resist. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm going on. I'm, I don't know where this thing's going, but I'm, I'm, with, I'm going with you, God. James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, he doesn't have a lot of interest and no foothold in your life if you're resisting him. It's only if you're cooperating with him that you have to worry. Some people say, you know, they, they get all caught up in the whole world of the demonic and they, there's a devil under every bush. There might be, but I ain't looking in the bushes. How about you, amen? I leave the bushes alone. Just go on and enjoy life. Give God praise and light will dispel darkness wherever you go. 
And then there's the lion that you follow, and that's your Savior. The lion that you follow. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, he's identified as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Quite a different kind of a lion than those first two, amen? Is he your lion? Is he your strength? You see, be courageous in your life. Winston Churchill said of all the great character qualities of human beings, the foundational one, in his opinion, was courage. Out of it flow everything else. We have a men's conference coming up. It's called Men of Valor. It's got a big lion on it. It's a good-looking lion, isn't it? That's not the Wizard of Oz lion, by the way. That's the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, the reason that this is so important, the reason we talk so much about it is we really believe that men hold a very important place in the kingdom that needs to be developed. That's why. I got a, I got a text back from a friend of mine said, I didn't know I was signing up for sleeping bags and dirt and cold and everything else. He said, that's really not my calling. But he's going. I said, yeah, I'd rather sleep under the stars too, all five of them. Some of you will catch that about Thursday. <laughs> but see, what happens when we begin to shape ourselves as men? The Bible says, you know, as steel sharpens steel, so one man sharpens another man. Isn't it interesting there that women try to sharpen men, but they don't, it doesn't work? It was never intended to work. Men were in, designed to be shaped by men, challenged by men called out by men. When a man gets called out by a man, he likes it. It might result in a fist fight, but he still likes it. When a man gets called out by a woman, he repels it. Because that's not the way men were designed. I'm not saying women don't have a shaping role in, in men. I'm just saying that men need men to be sharpened like steel. Men, you ought to be giving me an amen now. Instead of an oh me. We have space for about 20 more men. We want you to sign up today, be a part of it. We're going to open that night on Thursday night with Sean Foyt leading worship. Uh, Jay Koopman, you've heard him speak here. He's going to be preaching that night. Next day we have our uh, sergeant, uh, Marine Corps sergeant, who's going to be leading on, on dreams and fulfilling dreams in your life. And then Friday night, my son Josh will be speaking, and then Saturday morning, I'll be speaking. But it's going to be a great time together. It starts Thursday night, ends at noon on Saturday. It's going to be the best time of your life. If you miss it, you're going to regret it. You really will. I promise you will regret it. Because men are going to come back fired up for God. Be courageous in your faith. Let your faith be courageous. Don't be intimidated by anything or anyone. Be true to who you are. Be courageous in your testimony. I mean, give a testimony. I, I know God. I love God. I walk with God. Next Sunday, following the service, we're going to have a baptism. We know there's going to be a lot of men that are going to want to follow the Lord in baptism, so we're going to have a baptism uh, next week. It's a great testimony of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we do that. And finally, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Did you notice it doesn't say that there won't be weapons formed against you? They will. They're just not going to be effective. 
Satan's forming weapons. Your enemy's forming weapons. They're trying to, to break you, and God says they won't prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, he shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is from me. Do you realize you have a heritage of prospering and being protected in God's family? Isn't that great news? Let me try that again. Isn't that great news? I mean, there are things we should rejoice in and be glad in, amen? Let's stand together. I want you just to bow your head with me in prayer. We're going to sing, but I want you to, I want you to, to, to take the prayer that I'm giving here and I want you to incorporate it into your own life in some way. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe, God, that you are the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the lion that I follow. I will follow no other. I will be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I will walk in the spirit of the living God. I will be the man or the woman of God that you've called me to be, and I will not compromise. I will not give in, and if I fail, I will stand back up, and I will head in the same direction with you, God, because I know without you, I can do nothing. But in you, I am all-powerful and strong, that no temptation has overcome me that is not common to all men, but I will fight. you will show me a way of escape. You will show me the power and the source of my, of my living. And I, in you, I live and I breathe and I have my very being. I give you glory, I give you praise, I give you honor, and I call you Lord, and I call you Savior in Jesus' wonderful name. And can you just say with me, amen.